morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, September 7th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. Moses speaks the Lord's word to Israel concerning their conduct of warfare as they enter into the promised land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Flammy. Pastor Flammy serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flammy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. I'm happy to be back. It's always a privilege. Let's talk a little context here at the beginning, Pastor Flammy. What should we know leading up to Deuteronomy 20? Yeah, Deuteronomy 20 is uh, situated towards the back half of uh, Deuteronomy, uh, the second iteration of the law. The people of Israel are about to undertake their great conquest of the land that the Lord had promised to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the people that he had brought up by his grace and mighty works out of Egypt. Moses wants to make sure that they remember uh, a couple of key things, you know, the first one is that it was not because of their righteousness or because they were more numerous or better looking than all the nations of the earth, uh, that they are at the cusp of taking possession of this wonderful land. But it was because of God's grace, his kindness, his mercy, you know. And, and the second thing that Moses wants them to know is that their possession of the land into which they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, crossing over into once they cross the Jordan. Uh, that their possession of the land is going to be contingent upon their obedience to the law, especially to uh, the first table of the law, I would say. Uh, the first table of the law, you know, is the first three commandments. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day. The nations that are populating uh, Cana and and uh, the promised land, they, they do not fear God and they practice abominable worship to the false gods, even to the point of sacrificing their children as a matter of course, as their divine service to their false gods. Uh, For that reason, the Lord says that you must not be like them. You must fear, love, and trust in me above all things. And if you are very careful to keep my law and to do my commandments, that I ha- gave you at Mount Sinai when you feared me and, and the law was presented in smoke and fire and thunder, right? Uh, if you are careful to, to hear and to obey and to do the law, then you will possess the land. What's interesting is already in Deuteronomy, Moses pretty much straight up says prophetically, you're not going to keep the land, by the way. Yeah. It's going to be taken away from you. And when it is taken away, you will earnestly seek the Lord by, and you will uh, find him through repentance and faith, right? And there you have a beautiful promise, not about Israel possessing the land, uh, uh, but the, the New Testament church possessing the favor of the Lord, right? And that is one of the key promises in Deuteronomy 
And it's always something that we keep in mind in Deuteronomy. This is not a primitive ex exposition of legalism, right? Uh, this is instead a very nuanced and a very Christian book uh, that tells us and help. It tells us it helps us to ex to understand that there are two kinds of promises in Deuteronomy. There's the promise of possession of good things such as the land, uh, if the people are careful to do God's law. If they are not, if they sin and transgress against that law and and offend God through their through their wickedness, then uh, their worldly uh, goods are taken away from them, and that is from God's chastisement, right? Uh, to turn their hearts back to himself, who is the giver of, of uh, blessing, you know, not just temporal blessings, but of course, eternal blessings. And then there is the unconditional promise of the gospel. And that is, despite the sins of the people, the Lord himself has decided to act mercifully for their salvation, right? Uh, and in giving the people the land, this is, of course, looking forward uh, to uh, the, the, how should we say this, the capitulation or the, or the, the end result of the, of the wonderful promises of the seed that were first given to Adam and Eve and reiterated to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the people had now in their own hearts through the preaching of Moses, that someday a Savior would come who would set them free from the curse of sin and from uh, the punishment of death. And we know that the seed is Christ, right? And so this is part of, uh, of what God wants to do to preserve the promise that has been bound to the flesh of this people Israel. Uh, right now, it is bound up to Judah's tribe. Soon it will be bound up to David's house. And then ultimately, the Lord will be faithful in giving us the Savior from David's house, who is Christ our Lord. Uh, so that, I suppose, is a sweeping, uh, a, a kind of a sweeping overview, just not only of Deuteronomy, but biblically what's going on. Uh, but but uh, I encourage all your listeners uh, to read through Deuteronomy and especially pay very, very close attention to the admonitions that the Lord gives to the people to keep away from idols and the idolatrous and wicked practices of the Gentile peoples, uh, especially the peoples they are driving out and conquering before them. And comparing that to the righteousness and the goodness of uh, uh, of what the Lord has has provided His people in His law, right? In saying that, look here in my law, I have given you uh, uh, wisdom that far surpasses the wisdom of the of the Gentiles. I'm giving you uh, uh, righteous rules that far surpass anything that's found in the world, right? If you are and and think about the blessings that come from keeping the law, also. Right to keep ourselves uh, uh, purified from false worship that leads us astray. There's a reason why God was so vehement uh, uh, against the idolatrous practices and and the wickedness of the Gentile peoples is because there's a, sed a seductiveness to it. You know, mm. uh, people uh, they see it, and, and it's not just that they see it and academically know that it happens. No, they there's a, the, a temptation always to engage and to participate in these weird and idolatrous forms of worship. And the Lord warns us, this is, this is spiritual uh, suicide, right? And for the person who says, come and worship with me and, to do, and do what I, I'm doing in worshiping Baal or Asheroth or one of these other false gods, that's spiritual attempted murder, you know? And that helps to explain uh, 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 some of the Lord's laws and regulations for, for the Israelite uh, 
uh, governance in that area after they take possession of the land, especially when it comes to capital punishment for idolaters and such and such things like that. Uh, we, and we see some of that capital punishment in play today with the matter of warfare when they take the promised land. So we're in Deuteronomy 20. Moses speaks. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed the wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves." And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human, that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Flamey, as this text starts and Moses is describing the scene, you're going out to war and you look at the enemy army. The picture that I have is is one from any number of movies. I, I'm kind of thinking of the Lord of the Rings with this one, where the, the good guys have a really small army and the bad guys are really big and powerful. That's kind of the scene that the good guys are the underdogs, but the Lord tells his people here, you don't need to be afraid. Take us into the, the first verse of this text. Yeah, so here in the first verse, uh, we say that the Lord, we see, we see that the Lord says that you are going to go into battle. You're going to go into war. 
this helps give context, by the way, uh, to when you teach your kids about the fifth commandment, uh, what does it mean that you shall not murder? You know, uh, there are times when the Lord has put the sword into the hands of uh, officials and governments, uh, police officers, soldiers, and even into the hands of fathers to defend their homes, right? Uh, so not all bloodshed is forbidden by the fifth commandment, was, which was just reiterated a little bit earlier in Deuteronomy. But instead, uh, it is against the unauthorized shedding of blood, right? Uh, so that, that's probably the first thing that needs to be, to be mentioned. Uh, uh, and the second thing I would say is that I, I, I've heard this before, and I've, I've done a little bit of looking around trying to substantiate this, but somebody told me, one of my parishioners said this in a Bible class a couple of years ago, and, and I, it really intrigued me. Uh, he said, hey, look, pastor, I, I think that the, the Israelites did not on purpose, on purpose, they didn't have the advanced tools of warfare as the, their, the surrounding Gentiles did. Uh, the surrounding Gentiles had access to war horses and chariots and other implements of war that were, were higher forms of technology that were more that made killing on the battlefield more easier, more efficient, uh, that, that you know swung the pendulum of, of, of uh, or yeah, the, that swung the pendulum of you know uh, uh, who has the advantage in, in the conflict onto their the side of the Gentiles against the Israelites. And, and I he even took it to the point where he said the Israelites never used horses. I don't. I mean, I, that really, really intrigues me. And I've looked around for sort of a, a substantiation and proof of that, uh, but I haven't exactly uh, uh, found it. But what I do like is the fact that that the Lord says here that they do have chariots, they do have horses, and a large army. Right. Oh. So by any worldly measure. Uh, the, your enemy is going to be better prepared, better equipped, uh, and by any worldly measure, if somebody were to look at these two forces and, and, and they would have to pick a winner, they, they would pick the Gentiles against the Israelites, right? Uh, kind of like how it would be the smart bet back in the day to put your money on Peyton Manning and, and <laughs> as opposed to the team <laughs> that he was going against, right? Uh, and, 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 but, but here's the point. Uh, the Lord points this out ahead of time so that the Israelites would not be afraid. Uh, mm. They are not going to win their battles and this warfare through their strength of arms, but rather, and this is a theme that's been brought up before, starting in, in Exodus, right? When the Lord mm -hmm. acted mightily for his people's salvation out to bring them out of Egypt. It is the Lord, it is Yahweh who personally fights for his people. And even if the army is reduced down to a dozen people, if Yahweh is on their side, they can defeat thousands, right? And so this is more, this is less about conventional warfare than it is about faith and trust in the Lord's promise and, 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 and trust that if the Lord is on my side, then indeed who can stand against us, right? Now we saw again, earlier in, in the Pentateuch, that, that you had the faithful spies of Israel out of the 12 that were sent, Caleb and Joshua. The, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, they alone said, we can take them. We can take the, the land right now. Uh, the peoples may seem big and we may seem, but grasshoppers compared, compared to them, insects to be crushed, but 
we have this, not longer swords, not bigger horses and chariots. Uh, uh, you, I mean, it does, weapons don't matter. What matters is that Yahweh, the Lord God, fights for us. So even if we were to take a knife to a gunfight, right, we would win. Even if we were to uh, to march out without body armor and and with nothing but sticks against people who were who are wielding swords, we would win. Uh, and and this is and this brings us to this wonderful speech that happens <laughs> that happens uh, uh, right before a, a battle is to be uh, in- engaged. Right now, uh, uh, you were mentioning before Lord of the Rings, which is great I, and fantastic. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough where I really remember uh, Braveheart and and William Wallace standing before these these Scots yes. and and giving some of the most awesome, epic, rousing speeches, right? Uh, and, and, you know, for the sake of that one chance, for this one moment, right, to drive back the English, to fight for your freedom, you know, this is how he rouses their spirits, how he uh, instills them with, with courage and, and manliness and fortitude so that they can march out against this much better equipped, much better funded English army and crush them. Right. And so he makes their spirits soar through his words about freedom. Well, this is very, very different. You see, instead of the commander of the army coming out and, and speaking about a worldly good that they that's worth fighting for and dying for. Right. Uh, instead of a commander, you have a priest who comes out yeah. and who gives the, the speech. I mean, that's the first thing that is a little yeah. bit strange about this. <laughs> Uh, what does a priest know about fighting? Well, nothing. But that's the point. Is this is not yeah. about fighting. This is about Yahweh fighting for his people. Yes, you're going to engage in battle, but it is Yahweh, the Lord, the one who brought you up out of Egypt, who has given you his word, his promise. He is the one who will guide and direct you in battle so that even if you are few, you will win. Right? Mm. So Luther uh, uh, speaks beautifully about this, by the way. I don't know how, uh, how many of your, your commentators, uh, or, as you've been going through Deuteronomy, have been referring to his uh, sort of notes and, and lectures on Deuteronomy from volume nine of Luther's works. But I commend that to your listeners. Uh, if you have Luther's works in your library, pick it up and, and look at the notes for chapter 20. Uh, Luther does a wonderful job in saying that the Lord not only uh, tells the people that he's going to fight on their behalf. The Lord takes the weapons out of their hands. <laughs> mm. You know, he disarms them before the battle. You know, uh, and that is uh, the Lord doesn't does, doesn't want his people uh, to consider what's going to happen according to uh, uh, you know er, earthly means and might. He wants his people to consider what's about to happen according to the, what the Lord Himself has promised. Right, and on the and and and. And on the basis of their faith, uh, they're going to conquer. Faith in his word, faith in his promise. You know, it's very beautiful. And that's why the priest goes out and he says to the people, Hero Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Now, that's a real thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, fear and panic in the face of the enemy. I'm trying to think of like, uh, examples of how people could uh, find themselves in this kind of situation in day-to-day life. Of course, your kids, when you send them out 
uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to train up with the, 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 the team, right? That training or your, your practice the sessions and your scrimmages, uh, yeah, they're fantastic. They're good. They get them ready for the big game. But then it's Friday night. You know, the big lights are on the field. You're standing in the, the kids are standing and, re- and ready to run out onto the field. And man, oh man, the butterflies are going. And when you step out in the field and look at the other team, right? It looks like they'd been feeding those kids steroids in their hamburgers, right? <laughs> They're like twice as big, twice as scary. Like they have beards and mustaches and, and your kids have barely hit puberty. And, and in that moment, you know that your kids are feeling this, this fear in the face of the enemy, right? Uh, it's, it's a real thing too. Uh, uh, to, uh, for you talk to the, the, the folks who have gone overseas to fight in, in our, in our country's wars, uh, you know, there's there's kind of a gut check moment uh, mm. before you mount up and, and you know, on a patrol and go outside the wire to to hunt for the enemy and and to take them down. Right. You know that this may be the day that you die. Mm. You know uh, what is in the future is, in fact, in the Lord's hands, you know, uh, and, 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 uh, and people deal with fear in different ways. You know, the fear of the enemy. Uh and I think it's wonderful that in the Old Testament, we have this godly example of faith because it also helps to instruct, you know, the, uh, the, the men uh, and, uh, who are sent overseas to, to fight in combat against our nation's enemies. Uh, when, when they're on the cusp of battle, they have to remember that, yes, you've been trained for this moment, prepared for this moment, but the Lord knows you. He has baptized you. He has forgiven you all your sins. And it is the Lord's will that you are in that moment, right? And so commend yourself as the priest is commending the people to God, commend yourself to God uh, uh, through prayer uh, by remembering your Lord and, and his mercy and his goodness and, and pray that he would preserve and protect you and defend you against your, uh, the attacks of the enemy and to give you courage in the face of those of things that you just simply can't know, you know? And if it's so, if it is the Lord's will to take your life on that day, that, that, uh, you know, it's a good thing to pray that you would die in Christian faith, you know, that the Lord would strengthen you with courage, not only to, to be honorable and to be courageous on the battlefield, but also courage in the face uh, of judgment to know that your savior, Jesus has shed his blood for you, that he's died for you, you know? So, uh, uh Luther picks up on this beautifully when he, when he, in his uh, famous treatise on whether or not soldiers too can be saved, uh, there Luther has, in, in typical Luther fashion, uh, some suggestions as to what a, a soldier so, should pray before he goes in, and engages in battle. Uh, once again, Luther imagines, uh, you know, the pre-battle uh, scene, and instead of a commander standing before the men giving a rousing speech, uh, the commander uh, uh, says such things as, "Commend yourself to God." Fear God. Don't trust in your weapons. <laughs> All of the things that you would never expect to come out of a commander's voice, because Luther is such a pastor, uh, and he interprets everything so so spiritually. That is according to the gospel that he can't help but put into the the soldier's mouth or into the mouth of those who are leading the soldiers uh, uh, the, these words confessing the greater spiritual realities of Christ who has conquered sin, death, and who gives resurrection to the point where, yes, as a soldier, you might be called upon to fight, uh, but in fact, it is the Lord's will whether or not you win or lose. And so you commend yourself to him. You know, 
It is striking to me, not only that the priest is the one to give this speech, but the way that his speech starts. Hear, O Israel. Uh, there's echoes there of, of one of the greatest verses in the book of Deuteronomy from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That, I mean, what a, what a wonderful way to begin the battle, not by sharpening the swords or you know greasing the wheels on the, the chariots, which, as you said, they probably didn't have. But the, what do you need to do going into battle? You need to listen to a sermon first. Listen to God's word. What a, what a marvelous thing. And, and backwards from the way that we might have thought about it, but it is the word of the Lord that gives his people life. And, and even going into the battle, that's the first reminder they get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God be praised, by the way, for our faithful chaplains uh, who serve our, our service members, uh, in all of the branches, and, and especially those chaplains um, who have had opportunity to give spiritual counsel, not just words of generic encouragement, and, uh, but real spiritual counsel, the comfort of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, which cleanses consciences. God be praised for those men who are out there giving that word of comfort and encouragement uh, you know, before men go out and fight. You know. Uh, they are very rare indeed, yet I know they exist. Uh, this is kind of a cool story. I don't think I've told this story on the air before, but uh, you can imagine uh, being a young Marine floating over to Iraq uh, for your first deployment, right? You can imagine the anxieties, the fears, the nervousness. You're, you're wondering whether or not you'll, you'll be able to do your part uh, to not let everybody down. <laughs> if you're wondering it, whether or not in the moment of of conflict and and uh, and uh, engagement, uh, that you'll courageously do what you need to do, or if you're going to shrink back and be a coward, you know all these these anxieties and fears are are going around in your mind and your heart. And floating out there, I, I had access to this this wonderful chaplain on board the Bonham Richard. Uh, his name was Ed Jack, and I know that probably some of your listeners out there. Uh, uh, know him, and, and uh, he he passed into glory on my on my deployment. But I was so blessed uh, to have heard him preach not words of of worldly encouragement and fortitude, but to preach the true fortitude and encouragement of the gospel to me and to my friends. That's the other wonderful thing. He baptized one of my good friends on the way out to Iraq, and wow. to to give him the ultimate you know armor before the eve of battle, which is you know this this. Uh, coming face to, face to face with death itself. I mean, what better armor can we have in the face of death than, than holy baptism? To know that death, even death, cannot defeat me because I have been buried already with Christ in baptism. You know, and So Ed Jack mm. preached the gospel beautifully and wonderfully uh, to myself and to many of my friends and to many of these, these Marines who were about to, to go and, and fight in Iraq. You know, On my second deployment, I was a little... Mm. Uh, and, and as yeah. you said, God be praised for yeah. faithful chaplains who do precisely that. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 20 today on Sharper Iron. We need to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 7th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 20 with Pastor Brian Flamey. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. So Pastor Flamey, prior to the break, we talked about the priest's rousing speech to the army. He's the first one that gets to speak. Then the officers get to speak up in verse 5. And the first thing they begin to talk about is certain situations when people might go home. What are, I don't know if excuses is the right word. What are some of the the caveats that are offered for those who might not participate in this battle? Yeah. So there's uh, four classes of people who are going to be dismissed. And the one thing that I, I want you to kind of have in mind ahead of time is how we recruit and uh, send people off to warfare in our own context, right? Uh, mm. I'll, I'll, you know, just to use myself as an example, I was a high schooler, right? Uh, a kid, a teenager, barely out of puberty, and and a, a marine shows up in the in you know I, one day in the hallway, and he has a table and he's handing out pamphlets talking about how awesome it is to be a warrior and to fight his country's battles and to be a part of the greatest fighting force that you know the universe has ever known. That is the United States Marine Corps. Uh, don't mention that to the angel armies, I guess, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but you can imagine the effect that that has on, you know, the young people uh, uh, on recruitment days when the armed forces are given access to the high school. Then they go and talk to the recruiter. They develop a relationship. And and before you know it, you're 17 years old. and You get mom and dad to sign on the line with you saying, yes, of my own free will, I am going to uh, enter into my nation's armed forces and I am prepared to fight and even to die on behalf of my country, you know. And so you have people at the very beginning of their lives, right, having just finished their education, who are being trained in the arts of war, uh, who are being sent off to fight. And, and, so, and because they are young, right, many of them have uh, sweethearts from high school, girlfriends, and, and many of them, uh, uh, have, because of these relationships, get married, have children, right? And yet they are sent off, especially over the past 20 years, uh, deployment after deployment after deployment to places like in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, to fight and to endure the rigors of uh, be- not only being away from home, but also the, the fears and the stresses of combat, right? And then they have to reintegrate themselves back into society uh, when they get home. They have to figure out, you know, how do I drive on a real road and not, you know, act as if, you know, there are IEDs on either side or something like that, you know? Uh, so, that's our context. And, and that kind of defines a lot of what we have been through as a country in the last 20 years. Now, look at how different this is. The officers, like you said, they speak to the people and they ask a question. Who here has just built a house, right? Now, 
if you're building a house, you're probably preparing for a family. You're pretty young, probably, right? And and so these 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 younger men who are preparing uh, uh, to start a life on their own outside of their parents' houses are are, set, are are being told, okay, go and finish your your homes, live in them, mm. right? And then you have the uh, uh, the next category of people. Who here has just planted a vineyard, right? Uh, these are the people who are also doing the things that are necessary to provide for a family. They say, go back and enjoy its fruit. And then finally, you come to sort of the culmination of the this third one. And that is who here is betrothed, not even married, but betrothed, promised to another woman to be married. Uh, go be married and enjoy your wife. The old rabbis, by the way, in true rabbinical fashion, would fix rigid dates to how many years you had to be married (laughs) before you could get around this prescription and get back into battle. And it was two years, according to some of them. Uh, Here, the Lord is, of course, not, he doesn't care about that kind of exactitude. What the Lord cares about is that uh, these young people, uh, these young men who have arrayed themselves before the enemy, they are being told to go back home and uh, provide for the familial estate. Uh, don't. This is not the time or the place for you to draw a weapon and to engage in combat. This is the opposite of what we did uh, over the past 20 years as a country. The, almost the exact opposite. Uh, by the way, in the ancient world, this wasn't, this wasn't at all uh, a stranger unheard of. Uh, you, you know, we've, we hear the stories of uh, the legionnaires. Uh, uh, we hear the stories of, uh, of Alexander the Great, and his uh, uh, Macedonian arm, his Macedonian armies, especially with Alexander the Great, the men who f- who were the most effective uh, fighters were oftentimes in their mid thirties, forties, and even fifties. Uh, they were men who who had established families at home and would go off campaigning only after they had established themselves and their families. You know, mm-hmm. and so this this bit of I mean, so this is wisdom that's somewhat reflected. Uh, uh, in the other in the other Gentile nations, but but it, here how it comes out so clearly, according to the Lord's uh, commanded word, uh, it shows us something very very important, and that is that especially for the young people who want to prove themselves through violence and the shedding of blood, it's in fact a, a greater thing in the Lord's sight uh, to attend to the matters pertaining to the the fourth and the sixth commandments. You know. Hmm. Uh, that is uh, uh, looking forward to being a faithful husband and a faithful father, you know, providing for your family, taking care of them. And once you have enjoyed the fruit of your family, right, and, and uh, the blessings that come from the familial life, then and only then are you prepared to march out against the Lord's enemies as the Lord fights for you on your behalf, right? Mm-hmm. What about the the fourth category? The first three, I mean, follow along with that, you know, as you were saying, the fourth and sixth commandments. But the fourth then is is the man who is fearful or faint hearted. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this ahead of time. Um, so the first three make a set. The fourth seems to be a little bit of an outlier, but there's again great wisdom uh, uh, that the that the in how the Lord has commanded this conversation to take place before the commanders and and the men who have drawn themselves up for battle, and. And it's this. I think that if you ask the cowards to go home first, uh, even their own cowardice will keep them from going home. Does that make sense to you? I think so. They're they're too afraid to budge because because that you know it's it's fear that's kind of controlling their hearts and their minds at this point. But if you start with 
sending away after you assemble the, the you know the host of Israel. If you if you begin by sending folks away, and you can almost watch what it look, you can almost in your mind's eye see it. These groups of younger men who go off after each declaration is made, right? So finally, when it comes to the faint-hearted, there is less uh, uh, shame. <laughs> you know, it makes it an easier thing to walk away if you are, in fact, the fourth group to walk away. You know, mm. and and what a mercy on the part of the Lord yeah. uh, to not force someone who is unwilling into combat because of fear, but instead to make room for their fear. You know, and so that they and and, and so that they wouldn't. Uh, 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 make their their fellows, uh, uh, you know, their fellow soldiers' heart, hearts melt, you know, and, and from uh, by seeing them, uh, 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 you know, buckle under the strain and 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 uh, the difficulty of combat. Hmm. I, I'm I'm curious, Pastor Flame, if if you've thought about any connection with these. And again, I don't know if excuse is the right word, but these excuses and and the way that Jesus speaks in one of his parables where the the man invites people to a great banquet and there are excuses made and and some of them sound like these like you know I've bought a field I need to go see it mm. I've bought five yoke of oxen I need to go examine them I've married a wife and I cannot come those excuses don't hold water when it comes to the king's banquet do you I don't know. Have you thought about that? Is there a connection that Jesus might be drawing from from a text like Deuteronomy twenty when he tells that parable? That's a fantastic insight. Uh, there, there, there is an apparent parallel between the two lists, as you were saying, right? Uh, however, I think that would be comparing apples and oranges. Just for yeah, this, that's what I'm. Just for this yeah. reason, warfare, even when Yahweh is fighting for you, right, to take possession of the land, this belongs to the things of this earth, right? Such as a vineyard, a family, a house, you know, even even whether or not I have enough courage to engage in combat. Uh, and but when the Lord is speaking of the heavenly banquet, right, uh, what he is saying is that you must fear, love and trust in me. Right. Okay. You you have to know my word and receive it with joy. Otherwise, uh, your field, uh, your new wife right? Your yoke of oxen, they will be your idols and your undoing. And so that's what I'm, and so it's, it's to kind of draw this, this distinction between those things that pertain to the word of God and the gospel versus those things that are pertaining more to our daily bread upon this earth, which come from obviously because of God's grace and favor. And yet we have to see the distinction between the, uh, the, those blessings, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's a very helpful comment, and that that that's what I was trying to to put together. You you helped me put that together very well. Thank you, thank you very f- much for that. So with the so we've got the the pre speech, now we've got the officers have spoken, and now it's the commanders who are appointed at the head of the people, and and now we actually come to instructions for how to go about warfare, which actually in the first scenario starts with an offer for peace, uh, verses ten through. 15 deal with how to treat cities far away from you. What are the instructions that the Lord gives through Moses here? The instructions that the Lord gives are wonderfully generous, I would say. I mean, probably for good reason. I mean, for anybody out there who has uh, been reading books on on ancient warfare, it was, what, a couple of years I finished Thucydides and the history of the Peloponnesian War. One of the things that struck me was just the brutality, the inhumanity of ancient conflict. Uh, 
And yes, there were like thing, you know, there were there were brief glimpses of great humanity and honor and nobility. But Thucydides has a way of kind of pulling back on that veneer and saying, no, it's 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 pretty animalistic in in its in how bloodthirsty it is, you know, and and it, it's it's brutal. And the people that you figure should have at least a chance at mercy, no mercy is given them, right? Uh, and so what's interesting is as they draw up, instead of just invade, attacking without a word, trying to take him by surprise, the Lord commands his people to sue for peace. It's as if he's telling his people in those words, I want you to be a people of peace and not a people of war that's defined by warfare. Uh, just by uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I mean, what's to separate them from from Alexander the Great and and, uh, and and the Roman legions, who by any means necessary would overtake the enemy and sub- to subdue them, to make them part of their their kingdom, their empire, their you know their power, put them under their power. No, here it begins with terms of peace, right? And then the Lord assumes that the the peaceful terms are going to be met favorably. And so his next instructions concern what, what's going to happen to the people on the inside. How are you to treat them, right? Uh, they shall be uh, forced to do labor for you, and they shall serve you, right? Which is so generous uh, uh, it, 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 compared to how these things may have happened in the ancient world, you know? Uh, that, that instead of like putting everybody to the sword as soon as they sue for peace, you know, that, that uh, they're said, you know, the the folks who are besiegers are told, uh, no, you will live and you'll have an opportunity uh, to even thrive. Yes, it will be under us. You will work for us. But at the same time, you'll be able to preserve all of your lives, right? Now in verse 12, it says, if they make no peace with you, if they reject the terms of peace, if they make war with you, you shall, you shall besiege the city, right? And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all of its males to the sword. And again, uh, uh, this is somewhat generous by ancient standards. It, uh, you have these countless stories from ancient times of, of whole populations being put to the sword. But here the Lord says, only the males, uh, uh, you know, the women and the children, you will let them live, right? You will take everything that's in, this, in, in the city and these people as your spoil, as your loot and plunder. By the way, do you know this thing in modern combat and warfare, like plunder and loot? That's not a real thing anymore. I could tell you stories about about that, but I won't right now. Instead, we'll stick to the text. <laughs> but the Lord makes a provision for loot. I'm just saying the Lord makes a provision for loot. So these guys who would like walk through Saddam's palaces and they were told not to touch anything or take any of it home. Mm. I mean, seriously, if you have the honor to walk through one of these like, you know, terrorist hideouts and they have cool stuff on the walls like the neat AK-47s and stuff. Why not? Why can't those guys keep some of the stuff? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. Now, so the Lord- Back to the text. <laughs> back to the text. So the Lord says uh, that you will uh, uh, keep the spoil and the plunder for yourselves. It is from the Lord's hand. It is for their blessing, right? Uh, now, all of this begins to change when he talks about uh, uh, the cities of the people's that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That is in the land of Cana, the promised land, uh, the people who are about to be destroyed by the Lord's command at the sword of the Israelites, you know, uh, uh, as after they cross over the Jordan, the Lord says that you will let none of them survive. 
and all of their stuff is going to be uh, devoted to destruction, you know, offered, that is offered to God. And then in Deuteronomy of these wonderful expressions, like the Lord can see that his, his people's hands are sticky, right? And so they in, take over one of these, these Gentile cities within the promised land and his people's hands are, are, are kind of finding some of the silver and the gold and the riches and the plunder and the loot and maybe even a, a child here or there to keep for themselves as a slave, right? But the mm. Lord makes this assertion again and again that no, they belong to the Lord, the riches, the people, all of it, and he is taking it all to himself. So you must destroy it, right? Uh, uh, you, may, you have to commit it to complete destruction. Now, I, I re, I, I, you told me earlier that you had a wonderful discussion uh, with uh, the Reverend Dr. Kuntz on what it means that these peoples, uh, seven peoples in chapter seven are mentioned, are, are devoted to destruction uh, that, that were uh, residing within the promised land, right? And, and we have to say that, especially if you have read uh, the context of, the, of, of this chapter in Deuteronomy, uh, you, have to, you have to understand that these peoples were wicked and Israel was for them God's judgment. And if the Lord decides to take life, then that is, you know, his, that, 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 that is for him to do. It's not for us to choose when to, when to give and to take life. Uh, but if the, it's the Lord's will, to take these people to himself for judgment, right? Uh, 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 then that, then that is his command. It has to be obeyed, and and Israel was for him the sword with which he did it. Uh, these people, I mean, we have to understand the wickedness of pagan worship in this area. Uh, they were encouraging one another to kill children, right? They were encouraging one another to to commit not just spiritual murder by worshiping the false idols, but then to embody that spiritual murder through the sacrifice of babies. And so the Lord's judgment here is indeed just. Uh, and and I know that you know the temptation for us is as modern day enlightened people is to balk at this and to say, well, whole peoples like this aren't deserving of God's wrath and judgment in this way, uh, you know, and in fact, and when it comes to the uh, uh, current just war theories, you talk about uh, innocence versus combatants, right? That's, and, and, and so you, and so, you know, a modern enlightened person would say, well, there must be innocence among the combatants. Well, that may be true in a worldly sense. And God makes provision for that worldly sense in what we just talked about earlier in the cities that are being attacked by the Israelites when the Israelites are commanded to sue for peace, right? That's the Lord's mercy for what we would yeah. call innocent uh, people, you know. But here, these people have been, again, according to the Lord's word and command, committed to judgment. Uh, and, and for that reason, they are being destroyed so that they would stand before God and his judgment throne after they had met, met the Israelite sword. Uh, and... Uh, does that make sense? I know I can't say it as well as Reverend Dr. Kuntz, but <laughs> no, you you you've said it very helpfully, and other guests have have brought it up as well. That you know, again, these when you think about these nations, the ones that are listed here and elsewhere, they were doing 
abominable things. The the Lord's word there of abomination is right on, and and the Lord is being just here. And mm-hmm. and yes, other guests have have talked about it, and and you added to that very well. And though it seems harsh, it is a reminder of the penalty for our sin, the the penalty that all of our sin deserves, which is death. Yes. And it is only by the Lord's grace and mercy that we receive anything less than that. Correct. I. I I do want I want to make sure we get to the last part of this text because it's it's a bit unique. And and I mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier and that was kind of on purpose because we get to talk about trees and battles and that shows up in Lord of the Rings. It's in the the two towers particularly. So we've got about 7 minutes here Pastor Flammy. What's the deal with the Lord bringing up trees? The deal with the trees is this. I mean the Lord is sending his people into the promised land to be blessed by the promised land, right? There are vineyards there that they had not planted that they are going to enjoy the fruits of, right? Olive trees that they're going to enjoy the the fruit of and and press for oil, right? Uh, uh, And so the promised land is not to be treated as a territory to be utterly destroyed and including like, uh, you know, the, the trees outside of the cities that they're attacking uh, because the Lord wants to bless his people with the, the places that they're going to be uh, conquering. Uh, that's and, 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 and so I think that's the main thing that's going on here. And you have to understand this, that, and of course, anybody can, you know, uh, that in the heat of a moment, when you're engaged in, uh, in, in uh, a fight with somebody, right? Uh, your spirits are up, the blood is flowing, uh, your, your vision tunnels, right? And you're throwing your punches. And uh, it gets to the point where, you can't hold back. You pour out everything upon the enemy because that's the only way when it comes down to it that people fight unless they're extremely, extremely highly trained and disciplined, which is one of the blessings of our modern day military. But that's a discussion for another time, right? And so the Lord knows uh, the, the, the kind of bloodthirstiness that comes with engaging in warfare and how this can be taken out, not just on the enemy, but on surrounding structures, on trees, orchards, vineyards, everything. The temptation is to just blacken everything, uh, to destroy everything, and to despite the uh, to spite the enemy, right? Uh, and so again, the Lord wants to do two things: preserve the land for His people's blessing, and the second thing is to keep His people from abject bloodthirstiness when engaging in combat. It's always measured violence. It's always authorized violence. And anything beyond that is sin. Uh, Luther goes out of his way to make this point in his commentary on Deuteronomy, when he says that it's so clear from Moses's words that the Israelites, when they were commanded to engage in combat, according to the Lord's word, that they would not have been falling into the various what are the, uh, 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 excesses of warfare that are common in, that were common in his day and that we know about today in our own context. Like you remember uh, when at the beginning of the Iraq war, you had these military police people in Baghdad who were treating the, the prisoners that were brought into Abu Ghraib uh, absolutely terribly, right? And then we back in the States in our comfortable chairs and couches think to ourselves, that it, how could that possibly happen, right? But for somebody, and and for many of the service people who have been over there, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, understand that over there, fighting against an enemy, right, uh, uh, that the the typical restraints that are put on us by the fifth commandment, uh, they seem to be loosened, right? That's a real temptation. And so not only do I engage the enemy uh, with proportional violence, 
I, I put them in, you know, uh, and then the, for the survivors, I put them in zip ties and put them in the back of the truck and take them to the detention center or whatever, right? Uh, but I'm also tempted to strike him mm. and to speak wicked things to him. Because let's face it, I mean, in the heat of the moment, I was very afraid of the violence this person was capable of. And now in a very bloodthirsty, animalistic, sort of fleshy sort of way, I want to avenge myself upon him. That's contrary to the fifth commandment, and that's contrary to the authorized use of violence that is being laid out here in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Hmm. And we saw that same concern for the Lord limiting the the sinful natures of his people in the previous chapter when you know it, it talked about life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, that our desire for vengeance often takes us beyond what true vengeance or excuse me, what to, true justice would be according to the Lord's word. And so we see a similar concern here, I think, when it comes to the trees. That's a helpful, helpful comments there, Pastor, Pastor Flammy. Got about two minutes here. Help us to, to wrap things up on this text in Deuteronomy 20. Yeah. So what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, again, is the Lord's instructions for the Israelite people when engaging in warfare. This helps us to understand that the fifth commandment is it against, isn't against all bloodshed, but rather it prohibits unauthorized bloodshed, right? The Lord puts the sword into the hands of, of office holders, uh, members of government, police officers, soldiers, and so on. Uh, so even though the specific commands here are for the Israelite people, and when the Israelite nation falls in 586 BC and comes under the dominion of other peoples, uh, still this principle of, of authorized bloodshed should pertain to us and we should continue to teach it to our kids when it comes to the fifth commandment so that if one of our children becomes a police officer or is called upon to serve his country and to fight, uh, that our, our kids would be able, and our, and our young boys especially, would be able to do this with a clean conscience knowing that they are wielding the sword not on their own behalf, avenging themselves upon their enemies, but in fact, they are serving, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, they're serving the, the people of their land, they're serving their communities, and they are wielding the sword on God's behalf as his ministers of the law, right? That's the first thing. The second thing that we, we need to say here is that the Lord fights for his people. Right. And uh, this is great encouragement for our service members today who are about to engage in combat to know that the Lord is with you and that he fights alongside you. But especially he fights for your soul against the intangible and the greater enemies of, of Satan and his lying words and his temptations. Right. God be praised that the Lord is victorious. Uh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean I didn't mean to interrupt you. Pastor Pastor Brian Flammy is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Flammy, thanks for being our guest today. Yep, no problem. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <music>